In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. I want to open the podcast up with a public apology. Myself, Ian and Jack have been super busy and we've let the podcast slip just a little bit. However, we thought, do you know what? You guys need a podcast. Our DMs are full of podcasts. I'm here with Jack Duffin and Ian Wright and we're back. Ian, how are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, we're back. Uh, obviously, a lot of travel with the holidays. I was in PA for a little while, and it's just, it's been a, honestly, November's just been a crazy month. Like, there's just been a lot going on. Obviously, you had plenty of things going on in London, Paul. So, getting us, you know, together on your schedule was tough. Jack's house is falling apart. He said the ceiling's crashing in, his toilet's flushing like it's in Australia. It's going the other way. So, it's just one of those things where we just kept missing each other. But, the football team that we all love, the Cleveland Browns, needs us. They really need us right now. So I reached out to Jack. Jack reached out to Paul. Paul reached out to me. We're like, guys, let's get the band back together. Let's figure out what the hell is going on on our football team. What's going on? Jack, how are you doing, well, buddy? It's like the Blues Brothers. We're on a mission from God. We are. It's dark and we're wearing sunglasses right here out of good old Chicago. The Bears even won a game without scoring a touchdown. Nuts. Um. But no, so we'll just do a slight recap because we know it's what Wednesday, probably by the time you're listening to this. Um, so I made the brave, courageous, stupid decision to rewatch the game the following day. Um, and what I took away was from the moment we went 14-0 down, which is not ideal. You don't really want to start every game 14-0 down um, as sort of a, a standard handicap for uh, making the games more fun. But from that point through to when DTR got injured, I thought it was really positive. The offense was starting to flow. DTR was slinging the ball. We could do with some receivers actually catching the ball. Um, Some of the passes were a little behind, accepted, but there was enough bad drops that it should never have got to that. But the defense then stepped up. They've been slow starting recently, but they then stepped up. And for me... If DTR doesn't go down injured, we win that game. Um, and that's the that was my feeling watching the game. Once he was out, it was an absolute shit show. Paul, where did you watch the game and what were your overall takes in that Broncos game? I had a horrific journey. I'm watching it on a train, sitting on the floor on my iPhone. I'm not going to be doing that again. It was all. Was this the one where you were on the train from Newcastle in the standing room only? Yeah. I saw this. I was like, oh, my four hours in cattle car. That looked brutal. It was awful. Um, yeah, it was just awful. I had Sky News and no reception, no Wi-Fi. I was watching Red Zone. I was watching on my phone. It was just an absolute mess. Um, I've gone on Twitter cheating, see what was really going on before it happened in the UK. And uh, it, as Jack said, let's be positive. There were some real positives there. And do you know what? We've rode our luck three or four two three or four times too much this season. We didn't have our luck on that game. Look, let's move on. 
let's see what happens going forward. Well, one thing I want to talk about, and it's Browns related, but it's kind of not because Paul, my experience in this game until I rewatched it was similar. We were driving from Ohio back to Chicago, so it was flurrying the entire drive. And I, that's that rain, slushy, snow mix. So I've got dog, wife, ba- uh, toddler in the car. I've got the audio synced up. So I am i can't really watch the game because I'm driving, and I have my earpieces in. So my entire first experience on this game was Kevin Kugler and Mark Sanchez. And I'm just going to tell you that's the worst broadcasting team you could have gotten. These morons. I don't think they actually knew anything about the teams they were covering other than like somebody had given them a stat sheet and they had some rankings on it because Mark Sanchez was trying to call plays like, oh, like Romo style. Like, oh, this is going to be a run to right, pass left. Oh, this is going to be a pass left, run right. It was infuriating to listen to. I really didn't understand what was going on in the game at times. Like, the, <laughs> yeah, well, that's the crazy part. Like they're watching the game and Pierre Strong's fumbling and they're like, oh, we got uh, the balls. I don't know what happened, but the ball's loose and uh, Denver's got the ball. And I'm like, what the hell happened? And then in my phone is this chat that we have going on for the Paul Brown podcast league. And that thing is just nonstops to fire Stefanski. He's the worst thing in the world. I was like. Our pets' heads are falling off. I'm in the middle of Indiana going through a snowstorm of flurries here. I got Mark Sanchez is driving me to an early grave about butt fumbles. It was just madness. It wasn't until I, like Jack, rewatched the game that I'm like, okay, A, I understand what the Browns chat that we had going on was talking about, even though I disagree with a lot of them. But in the same sense, I don't know what Mark Sanchez still was talking about, and I prefer we never have him again. But hey, uh, one other thing. Cedric Tillman looked pretty juicy. Um, uh, I, I didn't think I was going to say. It, 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 nothing uh, special. Uh, but if, if Cedric Tillman, Elijah Moore, and David Nchoku, together as a group, are getting 150 to 200 yards a game, Amari Cooper then can, can carry 100 yards a game. That is the formula for what you're looking for. You don't need these sort of ex- extra pieces around Amari Cooper to be superstars. They just need to do enough. And between them, they can share out where that 150 yards comes from. But that that's the formula for what you want. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens the rest of the season. Here's my thing, Jack, and I have a question. When we were going through the draft process and we're talking about the Browns wide receiver, do you now kind of see what Cedric Tillman's role is supposed to be? Like, we obviously talked about Jalen Hyatt. We talked about Josh Downs. We talked about other guys. But, like, you can kind of see what Tillman is that they aren't, right? That big-bodied physical receiver. You know, I thought that play at the third down marker kind of showed this is a guy that's just, he's not that Elijah Moore. So once they traded for him, Tillman, to me, stood out like a sore thumb is that's the kind of guy we need. We need that, you know, that Anquan Bolden physical. Now we just have to start developing his route tree. But at right now, I mean, you're talking about David Njoku is dominating the targets. So let's stick to the offensive side of the ball. Paul, overall, offensively, you, you can give a grade if you want, but they only scored 12 points, so it's probably not going to be good. What do you think the current state of the offense is? Um, it's a very tough question, I think, because we've got almost... The, o, the O-line is sometimes just sleeping, sometimes it's great. Is that fair, Jack? Am I, is that a fair analyst or... Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's more than fair. Um, they're, they're struggling, but at the end of the day, it's like they look good. At, they also look good at times, Jack. I, I, I'm watching them, and they're going like, "Okay, great." 
the tackles are doing a really good job. So everything's going really well. We've got holes for the running backs. Brilliant. And then there'll be silly penalties and someone just gets sacked out of the blue. So it's really hit and miss. I think the offence... Conte says this problem about catching. Now, Jack, just calm down. I don't know if this is on Barry because he cares more about the athletic stats than actually catching. Um, and Juku, you know, once again, he's missing a few easy catches. Something that we saw maybe in season two, one and two, three with him. Um, yes, he's taking the ball further after tackle well, but he's just not catching it. He's always been a much better with the ball in his hand. I think in college, he set the record for most forced missed tackles. He can jump through the gym. He's strong. I mean, you saw the one angry run. His problem has always been catching the ball. That's his thing. And he can call and apologize all he wants. He dropped that touchdown. I mean, I'm sorry. It's the NFL. You got to catch that ball. And even the other one that on the, I think it was on the series DTR got injured. If he catches that, he's probably going for 30, 40 yards. Yeah, um, he's got a nice clear route there, um, and it's one that he just needs to clean that up. And that, and that's kind of the frustrating thing. It's like it, it's different. He's making sort of mental lapses in the same way, sort of Jed Wills. So you get flashes of Jed Wills, and then you get flashes of bad Jed Wills. Compare that to someone like um, Christiansen, a, a filling in left tackle. He's just not good, but at least he's trying. And you you can't then ping him and go, he frustrates me because. At the end of the day, it's a off the street left tackle. Anything he does, I'm like, hey, good stuff. And it's that difference of like, in Joker and Will should be so much better. Whereas Rodney McLeod turning up and doing really good work for the whole season, happy days. Rodney McLeod, amazing for a, a min price veteran. What the hell are these guys doing? We should be getting so much more out. Yeah. And I think that's your expectation level, right? When Njoku got paid. And listen, I have no problem with David Njoku dominating targets, right? Because he is a matchup nightmare. But I think his biggest strength is also his biggest weakness. His his brain is telling him, David, when you get this ball, you are going to be impossible to tackle, right? You're going to be the man. So in his brain, he's already processing how he's going to break tackles, how he's going to take the hits. So what's happening is he's forgetting to catch the ball. He, it's not that he he has bad hands. He can sit there, have a jugs machine, throw him 500 balls. He's going to catch 499. The problem is, is when the game's moving, his brain is moving. He's a step ahead. He's turning to look up field. He's trying to break tackles. He needs to focus in on catching the ball first because he can be in the red zone. Jack, you saw it. Don't detour. Throw it up there. This, he's a high jump champion. He will out jump any safety in the league. Justin Simmons, any of them. Throw it up there at six foot seven, six foot eight, and he will go get it. Every time. You can't stop it. You can't. I'm going to say another positive. D DTR, I think, looked really good. Once he got that start bit out of the way, and people flash back to Josh Dobbs, and you're talking about Josh Dobbs has had like 400 attempts this season. DTR is about 100. It it's one where it's going to take time, but he's continuing to get better each time we see him. And I think we're in a really good position moving forward. For That is a nice backup quarterback to have. He's dirt cheap. He's ascending. And hey, if if the Cardinals would have had him from week one, I think we'd be seeing a really exciting DTR talking 12 weeks into the season. Um, but no, one that I think I feel really good about that as a backup position going into next season. And Walker is an above average 
QB3 that belongs in a practice squad. He he is good for a QB3. Usually if QB3 is in, it's a disaster. Just ask the Jets, ask some of these other teams. But he's a QB3, and so I expect him to be gone, um, waived, and potentially re-signed to the practice squad. I'd happily have him there. If he wants to go do something else, he can do it. But if he wants to spend the next four years as our practice squad QB, I'm cool with that. Yeah. That's an, a role where hopefully we never see him because the other two are healthy. But he, he's a useful player. I think you you pinpointed something here that I think I cannot emphasize this enough to Browns fans. You have to set expectations, right? It is unquestionable. As much as personally I have my opinions on Deshaun Watson, he's the best quarterback on this roster, right? He's better than Josh Dobbs. He's better than uh, DTR. He's better than PJ Walker, Joe Flacco, right? So we can leave that alone. DTR is a fifth-round rookie. He's a fifth-round rookie. In your brain, process, fifth-round rookie. And you're right, Jack. He has arm talent, right? He can make passes to the sideline. That fadeaway pass he made to Cooper, right? That's natural athleticism. His ability to be able not many guys can do that. I'll just tell you that. You know, Rodgers, Allen, those guys can. But, like, Tim Boyle's not doing that, right? Or, you know, uh, I'm sorry, I haven't seen Bryce Young do it either, right? But regardless... He's a fifth-round rookie. He's coming in. He shouldn't be playing right now. If you can get meaningful offense out of him, that's a good thing. And P.J. Walker is exactly what he is. He's an XFL MVP stud who in the NFL will give you a couple spark plays, right? He'll kind of be Josh Dobbs. Like, realistically, if I were to show you P.J. Walker versus San Francisco and Josh Dobbs versus the Bears last night, can you tell the difference? Not really. They run. They're athletic. They can move. They can make good throws. So I think overall the offense at this point with Watson down, you need to run it through DTR and just see, help him develop his backup skills. So three years from now, maybe you're having a different conversation. PJ Walker, 100% winning record in Cleveland Brown Stadium. Just saying. Man, he's like Joe Flacco. He's only 10-1. and one, So uh, oh. Joe Flacco, you're not quite as cool as PJ Walker. So Paul, do you think that's fair when talking about the quarterbacks is we just need to reset our expectations? Yeah, I really hope DTR can play again this weekend. Um, if not, let's bring uh, Joe Joe in, see what he can do. The flaccid Flacco? Yeah, let's see. I'm, I'm expecting it to go that way. So there's been positive vibes around uh, that DTR's concussion might not be as bad, but the general rule of thumb tends to be in the modern NFL. If you're in concussion protocol, you're usually missing one game. There has been a few exceptions, so never say never. But I think you're looking at one of those two. I think as soon as DTR clears, uh, PJ Walker will be gone. And I'd say another guy that will probably be gone soon is Diabate. Sorry, Paul. I know he's a UDFA. Um, they've now got seven linebackers on the 53-man roster. And it seems like he's just there as cover now with the return of Jordan Kanasic until uh, Walker is healthy. And then when that happens, which might not be this week, um, but hopefully will be, uh, because it was only questionable this week, he'll then uh, get waived. And I'd expect him to get re-signed to practice squad. He's not that good. Hot take. The hit on DTR was not illegal. It was it was violent. Jonathan Cooper hit him in the chest with a shoulder. It looked bad. It did. Mark Sanchez said it live, and I know I ripped on him for the first bit, but he is correct. I didn't see that to me looked like one of those flags where they kind of throw it because the hit was so big. And you see that a lot with receivers now where receivers will take a big hit. And you're like, oh, that's got to be a flag. And then you watch it back. You're like, they can only strike from shoulders to, to waist. 
and he hit him directly in the chest. So, and the hit on Cooper was in the ribs. It's a dirty hit because it's the guy's exposed. There's no pad under there. So that hurt like hell. I no doubt, but it's not illegal. We want our defense doing that for the record. Just saying, I know a lot of people thought it was like egregious. I didn't think so. Positive news though, that Amari Cooper and Miles Garrett both day today. Um, well, because I, that felt like uh, anytime someone says, I felt pop. something pop. Yeah. It's never a good sign. But but the wild part is, is they had him out there running around as like a decoy pass rusher towards the end of the game, which was a little interesting. Cooper, as soon as he got hit, I go, that's a bruised rib. As soon as I saw it, I was like, ow, bruised rib, sit him down. It's a two score game with Garrett. I hate to break the news to you, Miles, as somebody who is progressing up the aging cycle, you're going to feel a lot of things pop here in a few years, buddy. I got knees, ankles, hips, shoulders, elbows, wrists, neck, everything pops on me, buddy. So hopefully it was one of those things. It was a, it was a growing pain because I, at this point think Miles Garrett is the closest thing we have to being indestructible. I mean, I look at that guy. I'm like, I don't know how you could injure him. All right, we've got eight minutes left. I think we've got five through some of these questions. Well, real quick, let's just, because I think the defense is easy. Let's high level on the defense real quick. Jack, the impact Rodney McLeod losing, do you think it's going to long-term on the defense? Paul, do you want to jump on that one? Yeah. Um, I, no, let's let Jack answer it, and I'll come back in, in uh, one minute. So I, I look at a lot of the stat numbers and uh, and for snap count, stuff like that. And I tweet out, it's a weekly article. So first thing, thing you wake up on a Monday morning, go go and open my Twitter feed. I, I'm usually the first person Browns-wise to uh, report them. Um, but I don't just report them. I look at how the position rooms have developed across the season, um, average per snaps for players, but also for position rooms. And this was fascinating because before today, it's 1.98, I want to say, just under two linebackers per snap for each game. So very much committed to a nickel defense. We saw a jump to two and a half linebackers per snap, which is massive. In the grand scheme, that you expect sort of a 20% shift of like, well, 0.2 more per snap as sort of things move around. But to jump half a linebacker or something. And I think that was just because they've gone from six DBs they love. And whether it's Rodney McLeod through to Newsom, through to Ward, Thornhill, Delpit, Emerson, any of those six, you're getting quality play. Um, and then they, they've gone from six to four. And I think that was the point where they went, nah. Ford's been good. There's some other guys that have been good, but that's where they really brought it in. And... Uh, when just go, hey, throw some more linebackers out there. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think overall defensively, it's going to keep them in a lot of these games, right? I don't think that the defense is going to get blown out at some point. I think overall, they're just foundationally solid at each level, you know, whether it's Dalvin Tomlinson or Miles Garrett, Zadarius Smith, you know, they're getting a lot of contributions from those guys. So overall, I think with the opponents left on the schedule, I don't think there's one team. I think Stafford threw the ball well last week against Arizona. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence is a good quarterback, C.J. Stroud. But other than that, I mean, you're talking about, and listen, I hate to break the news to people. I love Aaron Rodgers. There's no way in hell he's returning back for a 4-10 and 10 Jets team. Like, this doesn't make any sense. So you're talking about Jake Browning, Tim Boyle, Zach Wilson. They're going to tee off on those guys. It's the the, the winnable games, I guess, the, the games that are going to be competitive are going to be Stafford, the Jags, Justin Fields and the Bears and CJ Stroud, those four quarterbacks. 
So just statistically speaking, I reached out to Tej from Sumer Sports and asked the question on like um, making the playoffs. What, how many wins do we need? So if you get nine wins, you've got a three percent chance of making the playoffs. If we get ten wins, it's eighty four point three percent chance. And if you get eleven wins, ninety nine point six. So ten wins should do it. You might get a little bit unlucky. Hey, three out of every twenty won't they make it? But Ten wins should see us there, and Bears, Jets, Bengals—they've got to be your easiest three. So if you win any of the next four games, well, win two of the next four games, you're feeling really good going into the final two weeks, um, where you can be talking about, hey, get that eleventh win, and then let's all get smashed. Well, right now they're lined up at the sixth seed, so they play the Jags, the AFC South winners. So we'll see, we'll see. Um, yeah, let's get to a couple of our Q and As. You know, we obviously uh, let's ask the question: but- Who's winning the uh, fancy league at the moment? Uh, I'm winning division one. I know that because I think I am absolutely dominating with my dominating team. And I believe, Paul, I believe you are dominating league two, if I'm not mistaken. Did I win it last yes. year or not? I can't remember. You did. You... Last year what didn't really count because of that whole Bengals Bills thing. So no championships last year counted. But yeah, Paul, you are currently I first I won it last in division year as well, didn't I? You might have. We're not here to boast about last year. Jack didn't win. We know that. Mm. So yeah, in division one, I'm leading Jack is in second. You are in third. And in, so by the way, division one, way to let the podcast guys absolutely kick your ass. Let's get better in division one guys. We're, we're sitting here in champions league compared to you guys. And then in division two, Paul is first, Jack is fourth. And I am coming up the rear in eighth, but I am on a hot winning streak. So, all right, that answers Paul questions. Let's talk a little bit about some of the questions that people had overall submitted for us. Um, Jack, what is more important to the future, an offensive tackle or a wide receiver? So I would say they need to find another wide receiver just because you've got to have three good wide receivers to be really up there with the best teams in the league. I think we've got one at the moment, and Cedric Tillman could be a second. Could be. We just don't know. Hopefully over the rest of the season we'll find out, but I think they need to add another one. Um, And, hey, if your quarterback knows roughly what he's doing, you can cover for a bit of tackle play. We've seen it with Joe Burrow. You can't cover for wide receivers. If you take Jamar Chase out of that team, then they're not the same people. So I think wide receivers are the most important, but they are, for me, the two key positions they need to continue strengthening. But we've got three tackles going into next season. Nice place to be. Yeah, they're not all ideal, but they're, we're happy. Yeah, I think that the problem is, is with wide receivers, you're carrying more. So all the offensive tackles, the depth has been challenged. But I do think that if I'm looking at the draft, if, which we don't have a first round pick next year, I'd probably look at offensive tackle first over wide receiver, just because we have a little bit more depth there at wide receiver. And I think with David Njoku starting to take up a lot of targets, you're talking about Amari Cooper, Elijah Moore, and David Njoku as your three primary targets. So even if Cooper goes, I still at least have Tillman. And, you know, I'm not sure what's going on with David Bell, but you could... Cooper's here next year. Yeah. Well, unless they can get Mike Evans, Cooper's here next year. I mean, I'm just, I'm trying to trade him here. So, you know, but yeah, uh, that's, so that's that question there. Um, next question. Let's move on. Um, what is the likelihood that Joe Flacco will get his start with the Cleveland Browns on Sunday if DTR does not clear the protocol? So Jack, PJ Walker or Joe Flacco? 100%. Good old Joe. J- uh, Paul. Would you want to see Flacco or would you want to see PJ Walker out there on Sunday if DTR uh, yeah, cannot clear look, the protocol? It's probably like our 50th quarterback in the last 10 years or something. It's just that- hey, Adam's loving it. He's going to add Flacco to the jersey. Mate, that jersey is just going to be like a cape. 
Um, so, um, it, if you just get a bigger jersey, shouldn't you? And just put more and more names on it. Um, I mean, that's where it's going. Yeah, why not? Eh? It's, it's a comedy brown season. Let's keep the comedy going. I mean, I would probably go Flacco. Only because I haven't seen it and I've seen PJ Walker. So there you go. Um, we have a satirical question here. My buddy Seth always has some jobs. His his facts aren't correct, but overall, I'll ask a different question. Jack, do you think Stefanski's game plan for Sunday was the right game plan, or what would you have done differently? So I think when you look back at the game and you see effectively eight men in the box, one on each wide receiver and one deep safety, you can't run the ball every snap. And as well, there was this sort of myth that they don't know how to defend the run because people just look at the season total for rushing yards and go, that that's it. That's so, the mark. This is Mark Sanchez for the record. When I heard him say that, and then our group chat went nuts. Everybody got that one bit of stat that the Denver defense was 32nd against the run. And I'm like, that seems odd. Then you look, Jack, if you remove Miami, who ran for 350 yards against them, they are not the worst rush defense, and it's not even close. And it's one that, yeah, look at it, if you want to look at the three most recent games any time and judge it off season, I get it as a sort of method- methodology. But total yards in a game, it's like if you have loads of plays, that's a whole different scope than like the Browns are the best run defense. Why? Because we're only facing like 50 plays on defense rather than some teams are facing 80. And you can't just suddenly go, oh, doesn't matter that they're facing this. Um, just ridiculous stats. But when they were running and watching it back, a lot of the successful runs were all trick plays. So weird stuff the quarterback was doing with handing it off behind his back to Ford. Ford looped around and went for a nice run. Um, it wasn't your traditional pass it, run to the left or right of the center and just uh, dive as far as you can go. It, it, it will mix it up with some bits and pieces. And for me, the flow was great. DTR's healthy. You win that game. And uh, hey, extend Kevin Stefanski. Party, party, party. But it's going to happen. Somewhere. Paul, what did you think? Did you think uh, Stefanski's game plan was effective or would you have done something different? Well, he lost. So mm-hmm. I don't think his game plan was great. Okay, yes, you could go argue... There was injuries involved, but yeah, I think uh, it was a bad loss against the Broncos. Yes, they've hit form, but that's a game we should be winning. Yes, it was a way, but I still think that's a game we should have won. I, I believe we've got the talent on the roster, so um, I don't think you got the game plan, game plan correct. All right, I think this is a perfect segue that we're going to end on here. Ready? Okay, I'm going to tell everybody this. And I apologize. It was a person like a week or so ago that was calling me out and saying that I'm too arrogant. But I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this loudly. You cannot say after a play is over, it was a bad play call. Okay, you can't judge play calling and a result. You may have not liked the play. You may have said that play didn't work. But that doesn't mean it was a bad play call because you have no idea what went into the play call? Like Jack said, there's eight in the box and Mark Sanchez run the ball. Who are you going to run it into? Okay, the reverse didn't work. But you know what? I put that on Elijah Moore and uh, Pierre Strong. He lofted him the ball. It hit off his face, right? These things happen in the NFL. If you continually want to judge what somebody's thinking was before the decision, 
That's one thing. But if you're just waiting to after something bad happens, going, oh, well, Stefanski's a shitty play caller because they fumbled the ball. Well, it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback, but nobody was standing up and saying, wait, 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 don't put Harrison Bryant under center. Why? Well, that play works 95% of the damn time, but he's fumbled this one. That damn Stefanski's getting too cute again. Guys, use your brains, okay? They spend all week looking at plays and numbers and stats and analytics. They know percentages. They know the odds, all right? If a play doesn't work, that doesn't necessarily mean it was a bad play call. It could be execution. Now, there was one I remember a few years ago where we ran like a flea flicker throw inside our own tent. That was a bad play call. I'll give you that. I didn't need to see the outcome. They could win for a touchdown. If you're running a flea flicker inside your own tent, that's a bad play call, Hugh Jackson, which you know I don't say often bad things about him. However, Guys, you just have to sometimes pump the brakes. There's there's got to be a middle ground between Fire Stefanski and he's the coach of the year. Okay. We have to find that middle ground. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Could a game plan be better? Yes. Every coach will tell you after a loss, we could have done things better. However, I didn't think the team was ill-prepared. I think the team is inexperienced. They're going to make mistakes. Denver didn't make mistakes. Denver is on one of the hottest winning streaks, I believe, in the NFL, and I think they have a top 10 rush defense. So the idea that you were going to hand the ball off to Jerome Ford 45 times and he was going to win you the game is not accurate. It's an aberration. So to two bits there. One on the play call. I don't think that play call comes if DTR is still in the game. I think that is an exception that you're screwed because PJ Walker's out there. Let's do risky stuff because you have to manufacture a touchdown and you don't have a quarterback that can drive down the field and score a touchdown. And as well on Harrison Bryant stuff, I believe first in the NFL under center for converting first downs from a single play. That was before that snap, 80%. So 80% of the time he's been under center, he converted a first down and, uh, that's it. I'm going to finish there and say... This is what Browns. happens when you don't have Jacoby Brissett. You need a Jacoby Brissett. Go Browns. Go Browns.